Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Snyder Cut. I am your handsome host, Jeff Snyder. You can't tell because this is audio only. But one day we're going to get a video feed of this, and it's just going to blow up YouTube. Just watch. Uh, lots of stuff to cover this week, like a ton of stuff. Maybe, I don't know if I need to like pick one topic and do a deeper dive, kind of like Roka does on his podcast, uh, the, the Deeper Cut. But I kind of like all these quick hits. I kind of like touching up everything. Um, and you know, you know, part of this is almost like my my byline page in audio form meets my Twitter page in audio form because I, I have been going back like through the week in tweets, you know, because I'm commenting on, on things that maybe aren't I don't get to write about on Collider, so I forget to, uh, to mention them on this podcast. But uh, yeah, we've got a full show, so let's just dive right in. It's been a good week. For scoops for me personally, I mean, I'm gonna you know what? I'm gonna start at the top with a little update. I did a story earlier this week on um, Julia Garner being in early talks to star in the Anna Delvey series. I'd asked around at Collider, no one seemed to know who Anna Delvey was. I think this is a pretty big project. Um, it's gonna be Shonda Rhimes' first Netflix series. Uh, you know, Anna Delvey is the a uh, woman who sort of conned her way into New York high society. And, and Julia Garner is coming off an Emmy win for Ozark. And, you know, it, both are at Netflix. She doesn't, uh, Julia Garner doesn't have a ton of stuff uh, on the feature side coming up. Um, and so, you know, when I heard that she was in talks, I was like, okay, well, I, I don't see her turning this down, like her, her own show, Shonda Rhimes show. But I think I got that one wrong, folks. I think I'm going to cop to that. I think... You know, what I've heard is that uh, those negotiations maybe didn't work out, that uh, she may have passed. I don't know if the the series was dark enough um, for Julia Garner, if it felt a little too, I don't know, cookie cutter, torn from the headlines. Like I just don't know how much depth was there. But, uh, yeah, I heard she she got around to reading the script, and, and it may not have worked out. So I may have jumped the gun on that one. So I wanted to come clean. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to apologize because, you know, some, sometimes when you ask – these companies, uh, you know, Netflix about these things. It's not just Netflix. It's it's a lot of TV companies, and they say, you know, we'll, we'll add you to tracking. And it's like, okay, well, you're not really answering my question. Um, in in that case, you're not really saying yes, this is true, no, this is not true, or hey, it's it's early, but you know, whatever. It was just like, yeah, we'll add you to tracking. We'll add you to the list of people who have asked us the same question. And and I need a little bit more than that. Um, and and her reps were dodging. Uh, and and so you know, sometimes. You, know, you, you you have to trust your sources, and I'd say I have a pretty good track record in this, this line of work, as we're about to get into. Um, so you, you do have to trust your sources, but sometimes, every now and then, it does, things don't work out. It's not necessarily my fault. Uh, maybe I was working with information that was a, a day or two old, um, uh, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, and, and it felt right to me and, and I apparently didn't feel right to, to her. But, uh, as far as, you know, the other scoops this week, it, it was, it was a busy one. We broke the news that, uh, Hocus Pocus 2 is mo- moving forward at Disney plus, uh, again, another project that has sort of been rumored for a while. Uh, although I think last year when we actually heard about Disney thinking of, you know, revving up this franchise again, the idea was that it would be a reboot and they'd, they'd cast three new, uh, sisters or whatever. And that that is not the way it has been described to me. I think that while while none of the actresses are are attached, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najmi, I don't think any of them are attached right now.
right now, but I think that Disney is going to do everything in its power to bring them back. I don't really know, you know, what is Hocus Pocus without the three of them? But what like what does Kathy Najimy have that's uh, that's better? Um, so I, I can't imagine. Like I see why Sarah Jessica Parker maybe isn't coming back for a Sex in the City three movie, even though you know some co-stars want to, some some don't. Like that's just a shit show. I don't think it's the same way here. Um, and and so while Sarah Jessica Parker may be the the most relevant or you know biggest star right now, I don't know. Part of me thinks that she would agree to to come back to, to you know for this Disney Plus thing. Do I think that they're going to be the three main characters? I don't know about that one. This could see them uh, passing the the torch, the proverbial torch, or or broom uh, or cauldron or whatever to a, another a new generation of witches. But uh, anyways, they can They got Jen D'Angelo, who is a writer producer on Workaholics. And has a bunch of other comedy credits uh, to her name. She's also an actress. She's on that Facebook series, Loosely, Loosely Exactly Nicole. She's going to write the script. And so that was an exciting little bit of news to to indicate that Disney Plus, this is moving forward there. Uh, they, they do want to make it. And even though they don't have the cast, they are hopeful that the, that the three of them will come back. Um, Sally Ride. This is another sort of interesting one. Uh, Jill Soloway is going to be directing this film. They are the director of... Uh, sorry, creator of Transparent, uh, and I'm, I'm going to do my best with the pronouns here because Jill Soloway uses they, them, their pronouns. Uh, so I, I was proud of myself for getting it right in print. Um, Cassie Pappas is going to be writing the script. I didn't even realize Cassie Pappas is the person who was uh, developing a Roadhouse remake at MGM. I totally forgotten about that. Remember those Ronda Rousey rumors back in the day? Obviously, that's not happening anymore, but... Uh, I guess that project's still active at MGM because it was mentioned in the, in the bio that I received. But um, Sally Ride, first American woman in space. It's a great role for somebody. You know, uh, space movies haven't been great this year. Lucy in the Sky, High Life, Ad Astra, all various degrees of, of disappointing. But Sally Ride, this is a great story. It's not first man. This is like first woman. Um, and so depending on the actress who they get to play her, it could be really interesting. I'd love to see someone like Shailene Woodley, uh, to be honest. I think, you know, Shailene's a, a pretty good actress and, uh, we don't, I don't know. She's not, I don't think of her as like a, a mo- it's been a while since I've really seen her as like a movie star. Um, I know she did that movie Adrift last year. That kind of drifted away. Um, so Sally Ride, Jill Soloway. I think that's a pretty interesting pairing. I like it more than, you know, Jill Soloway doing the, the Red Sonja movie. Um, and But so the way that I got this story was actually out there that Soloway was was working on a Sally Ride project. There was this the Sally Ride script, Ride, was originally written by Kristen Verlinden, who's a, uh, a pal of mine. And she, uh, she, she used to be married to Josh Trank. Um <laughs> Part of my, my, my infamous Josh Trank story uh, about breaking the Fantastic Four news. But anyways, Kristen uh, had written this script, and she had just sold uh, another project. And so they wrote it up. You know, they wrote up this other project sale, and it said, you know, she's also she's also written the script Ride that has Jill Soloway directing. So I reached out to Soloway's reps, and they were like, yeah, this is true. Because no one had picked up the Soloway thing. You know, no one had, had really was reading the story about, about Kristen and this new sale. Um, and it's, this was the first time I'd seen the Soloway, Sally Ride thing mentioned. So I'd reach out to Soloway's reps and they'd say, yeah, you know, uh, they are directing it, but 
uh, we're we're putting a new writer on. We're not we're not necessarily using Kristen's script. Uh, I don't know if it's getting a, a rewrite or you know whatever. Apparently, it's based on her original spec. So I don't know what what the changes would be. But they said, "Hey, sit you know sit tight for a few weeks, and if you can, if you can just you know not write a story about Jill directing this movie, you know we'll give it to you when the whole package sort of comes together." And that's, uh, you know, so that's what I did. I waited a couple of weeks. They got Cassie Pappas. Everybody held up their end of the bargain, and, and we got the story. So that's sort of, you know, how, how it works. But it, it's all because of that eagle eye of noticing this thing, just Jill Soloway uh, doing a, a Sally Ride movie in this completely other story about Christopher Linden. It's about having that eagle eye and recognizing what is news. What can I make a headline out of? What, how can I, you know, sell, sell a story? Um, and so I got to pat myself on the back for that one. Then there was the Harvey Weinstein movie. This is something I'd been tracking for a couple of weeks and had been emailing people at, at Annapurna and not getting any response out of them. Um, so again, two years ago, Annapurna and Brad Pitt's company Plan B optioned the New York Times, the story of the New York Times reporters, Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, working with their ec- editor, uh, Rebecca Corbett, to break this Harvey Weinstein story. So it's like a, you know, they're not trying to make a Harvey Weinstein movie. They're trying to do something like Spotlight or Bombshell, where it's about, you know, the women and the investigation and, and how they brought down th- this guy. Um, so I'd been asking and asking and asking about the writer. And even notice, honestly, some some changes to the writer's IMDb page, which indicated to me that others had been asking around. Um, anyways, so I find, you know, like Annapurna has obviously been having some financial difficulties. Like they were rescued from bankruptcy by Megan Ellison's father, Larry Ellison. Uh, they didn't have a, a Corpcom person. Ashley Montahaney moved over to UTA this week. So... You know, I was getting stonewalled there. I was getting stonewalled by by Plan B because I'd gone to Brad Pitt's people and to into Dee Dee Gardner, you know. And, and you know, I, like I, I, I'll even tell you guys, I, I don't give a shit because they're never going to call me back. I, I called Dee Dee Gardner's office and I'm explaining to myself, like, listen, I'm a veteran trade reporter. I've been reporting on Plan B for a decade and responsibly so. And I'm just looking to continue, you know, being responsible with my information. So can't Dee Dee hop on the phone and and try and and, and tell me whether I have this correct writer or not? Uh, and of course, they refuse to. And eventually, someone you know came out and, uh, and and did respond to me, and they were like, listen, Variety's been on this. Uh, has been holding as well. Can we go at the same time? And I said, no, no, we can't because, you know, you've been stalling for 12 days. Nobody's taking my calls. Nobody's answering anything. And, 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 you know, so I, so I published as an exclusive. And of course, eight minutes later, Variety published it also as an exclusive, which is just obviously disingenuous since they know they got beat. Um, But it's like, listen, if you know you have it, then post it. I like, that's what drives me nuts. Um, So, you know, when people, I'm sure that I like afterwards they were like, "Well, this is why we don't work with Jeff Snyder," you know, because he just goes rogue and he just does his own thing. Well, it's like, no, if you had worked with me 12 days ago, if somebody had gotten back to me, or if somebody had, you know, b- before I have written the story and saying I'm going at three o'clock, then then I'm open to it. I hold stories all the time with with my buddy Justin Kroll. Like, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to be a dick, but that I thought was a pretty interesting, newsworthy story. It's the first we'd heard about that project in two years. And by the way, let's let's talk about Harvey Weinstein for a second. What a week for this guy, getting sued by Rose McGowan, the movie that's loosely based on him, The Assistant, uh, which actually stars Julia Garner, who we talked about at the top of the show. That just got uh, picked up by Bleecker Street and is going to come out in January. And then there was this whole hubbub about him. You know, going out to a comedy club 
uh, and getting I, I, people are using the word heckled. He obviously is not, he's not heckled. Like <laughs> people were disgusted by having to share uh, breathing space with this monster. And it, and it, it is complicated. Like on one hand, Harvey Weinstein, you got to expect that, that is coming. Like you can't. It, you have to at least be prepared for it, and, and he seemed to be like he knew he was probably going to get some shit, and, and he was like, "Well, listen, you know, if you have any questions, you can talk to me about them." And I mean, the whole—I I understand those women being made to feel unsafe, like particular. Like it, Harvey Weinstein's a human being, like all of us. He's got to eat, so like going to a restaurant—that's one thing. But yeah, going to a, a comedy show where young performers are, are performing, young women are up there, it just didn't seem like the best judgment for, for Big Harv right before his trial. Uh, and, he, and he got what he deserved. I mean, the, the viral clips from this are incredible, uh, particularly the woman who, who was just screaming, like, you know, I'm four feet from a fucking rapist and I'm not going to say anything. And it's fucked up. It's fucked up that people didn't say anything. Like... I won't lie. I thought that that Goodwill hunting joke was funny, but like it, it, it's you can't. Do, I don't know how you make that joke after that scene. You know, like I guess you're trying to like relieve the tension or you know back up. He the the, the guy. I think it was Andrew B. Salas said he was trying to like back up the the female comedian by bringing you know bring the spotlight back on the elephant in the room. <laughs> Uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm with him in the sense that Harvey Weinstein is a great producer. I'm, I'm, you're never gonna change my mind about that. Like he's made some great movies. Guy's also a sick, fucking rapist monster fuck. And you know, I, I used to look up to him, and it was, you know, hearing about those allegations before they even broke was was always heartbreaking. Um, so Harvey, I don't don't, don't go out in public unless. You're prepared to deal with the ramifications and, and good uh, on those comedians, or at least uh, the, the female comedians, for standing up to him and, and just calling bullshit on the whole thing. And I hope that, uh, yeah, Actors Hour, I don't know how much longer that that show will be going because I thought uh, totally tone-deaf statement from the person who runs that. Um, I've made plenty of tone-deaf statements of my own, though, so who am, I to, who am I to judge? Adam Driver stepping in to The Last Duel. This is the Ridley Scott movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck that was going to have them playing knights, and, and one of them goes off to war, and the other one rapes his, his friend's wife, and nobody believes her, and then the guy comes back from war and challenges him to a duel. It was The Last Duel in France. Um, so all along we had assumed that it was going to be Damon and Affleck in the starring roles. It was definitely how it was positioned uh, in the original article on Deadline. And then this week, uh, Justin Kroll at Variety said Adam Driver is in talks to play the other lead opposite Matt Damon. He would be the sort of the bad guy, the rapist. Affleck would be uh, segueing to a, a supporting role. Don't know what that is. Maybe he's the guy who, who organizes the duel or who they appeal to. I, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I like... I like Adam Driver working with Matt and Ben in a Ridley Scott movie. Like, and he he has a weird kind of creepy sexual energy. Maybe that's just because I watched Girls, uh, where he you know engaged in some pretty risk, risque material and behavior uh, on that show. Um, you know, Kroll had said like you know Ben Affleck. <laughs> first of all, I, I, <laughs> I'll do I'll do respect to Justin. The, the the log line for this completely changed. Like if you read Justin's story, the log line just feels like something that was fed to him by a publicist, uh, potentially Brooke Blumberg, uh, Ben Affleck's publicist. Just sounded like a very crafted sort of thing that totally like sanitized it and whitewash not whitewashes, but like washes away the 
the grit like there's no mention of rape or like sexual assault it's just it's called like a betrayal or something like come on guys this is this is the matt damon ben affleck rape movie for lack of a better term um Kroll said that that Affleck was always supposed to play a supporting role. I don't know that I buy that. Uh, Again, this just seems like Ben coming to his senses and being like, why on earth would I play a rapist at this stage in my career? You know, the the Affleck name has sort of been dragged through the mud the last couple of years with regards to this kinds of stuff. So I think it's a smart move on his part. The official uh, line was that he... Is also committed to Adrian Lin's uh, Deepwater, and, and that those two shoots would be conflicting. Deepwater shoots in November. Uh, I don't know how long a shoot it is. Last Duel is something that could go as early as January, but it also doesn't have a green light yet. And I'm sure that's because you know Disney and Fox are not in a, in a rush to green light a movie set in 14th century fr- France that deals with you know a, a rape. Um, I don't know. Tricky project uh, to make, tricky project to talk about. And, of course, Adam Driver's participation is going to depend on, you know, his his awards campaign for Marriage Story and uh, the report. And, you know, he's he's got a lot of irons in the fire this fall. Um, So, yeah. We got Quentin Tarantino refusing to make cuts to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to, to placate Chinese censors. Two things. If I was Sony Pictures, I would be fucking livid. I would be furious. I mean, part of me thought there's no way Quentin... Like, if I know Quentin Tarantino, he is a guy with a backbone, and he doesn't compromise, and he says, this is my movie, and if you don't like it, you don't get to you know, you know don't get to play it. Um, so I wasn't surprised that he stood up to them and, and drew a line in the sand and was like, this isn't happening. But I'm shocked that, that Sony did not like work on him like for a longer period of time because this is a significant chunk of change that they're going to be missing out on. Not that you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was necessarily going to do gangbusters in China. Plus the split is bad because I think you only get 25% of the Chinese box office. But uh, still, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Quentin came out with a statement as quickly as he did, particularly, you know, because they always could have found like another slot for it on the schedule. I don't know what kind of changes they were asking him to make if it, make, if it was about the violence at the end or if it was about the Bruce Lee stuff, because apparently Bruce Lee's daughter complained. But hey, props to Quentin Tarantino for standing his ground. And really, for Sony, I, I I honestly think Sony would have made the cuts if they could have, but they give Quentin final cut. And so he has to sign off on everything. If he didn't have final cut, I bet you Sony would kind of insist because they did sink a lot of money into this. And it did very well, but, you know, it didn't uh, – I don't think it made a killing for Sony, particularly after the awards campaign that they're going to have to invest in. So they would love that Chinese box office, but – it ain't happening. Um, let's stay. Let's stick with Asia. Michael Mann taking over Tokyo Vice, the HBO Max series with Ansel Elgort and Ken Watanabe. I'm really excited for this series. I think it sounds really cool. Um, yeah, set set in Japan, obviously. I mean, Michael Mann knows his way around uh, crime drama, and I'm imagining all like the the neon lights of Tokyo or whatever. I don't know. Like, it, it, I think he could be really cool. Uh, to to help launch that show, I, I like his aesthetic. So nice, nice job by HBO Max recognizing like, hey, Michael Mann has some availability. Let's get on that. I don't know what is going on with his Vietnam series. 
1968 or whatever the hell it is. I'd heard that it was casting up, but I never heard any names. So I don't know if that one has, has stalled or, or hit a snag somewhere along the way. Um, you know, some a bunch of other things. Isabella Monair, who's changed her name to Isabella Merced. Uh, of course, this happened four days before I broke the news that uh, she's going to play Jason Momoa's daughter in Sweet Girl. This is a you know fairly standard-sounding revenge movie, but I like that, that father-daughter pairing of uh, Dora the Explorer and Aquaman. Uh, the Ben Affleck movie Deepwater, which we had just mentioned, has added Tracy Letts and Rachel Blanchard. Both kind of interesting. Tracy Letts has a uh, big fall um he's in little women and he's in ford vs ferrari he's the guy in the car with matt damon uh matt damon gives like a, a wild ride to um at the end of the trailer and then rachel blanchard is someone who you know doesn't do a lot of movies or at least movies that anyone has heard of um you know she's from road trip and some adam agoyan movies and uh Without a paddle, and and anybody's it's it's been a while since she's really done anything of significance. She's starring on an audience network show right now, um, so I, a real a, a real coup for her. I, I don't know if she's going to be uh, having an affair with Ben Affleck's character, or if her husband is going to be having an affair with Anna de Armas's character, because this whole movie uh, is about like you know kinky mind games that that a couple is playing and how people start winding up dead around them. Uh, Rachel Blanchard, though, the original Cher Horowitz, not the original Cher Horowitz, but the Cher Horowitz from the Clueless TV series. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 good good for her. I, I'm, I'm very curious about this project, Deepwater. Uh, sex, you know, American movies, there's not a lot of sex in, in American films. Um, and I hope that Adrian Lynn brings that back because it's been a long time since he's made a movie. Uh, I think the last one was actually Unfaithful. And uh, that was a, a fun viewing experience for teenage Jeff. Um, Mackenzie Davis, who's great in Terminator Dark Fate. If you haven't heard my video, review, uh, watch my video review of that film with John Roca, be sure and check that out over on the Collider Videos page. Mackenzie Davis is, does a great job, and she has signed on to star in Station Eleven with Himesh Patel. Uh, from yesterday, which I still have not seen. Uh, don't know that I will. It's like a sci-fi show. I think it's over at HBO Max. I don't know. It sounded interesting. Check out the uh, the article on Clatter.com for, for more of those details. Robert Zemeckis taking uh, over Pinocchio over at Disney. This is the live-action movie that Paul King was going to direct. He's the Paddington guy. Uh, he had gotten Tom Hanks on board to play Geppetto, and then Paul King left, and then I think Hanks left because he was like, well, the only reason I was really doing this was to work with the guy who made Paddington. But now that they got Zemeckis, I do wonder if they will go back to Hanks. I mean, if anybody can convince Hanks to do a movie, it's probably Zemeckis. Um, and, you know, I like the idea of Zemeckis doing Pinocchio. I mean, he listen, this guy's made some great movies. The la- the, there have been – I've liked the last few movies – Marwin was probably the weakest. Like, I liked Allied. I liked Flight. Um, I like him making adult movies. But, yeah, Marwin did not work. And so if he's going back to this world of blockbuster filmmaking, yeah, Pinocchio sounds like a good one. Um, but I do hope that he gets uh, convinces Tom Hanks to come back as Geppetto. Um, Shia LaBeouf and Vanessa Kirby doing Cornell Mondrisco's Pieces of a Woman. I'm all, I'm all in on Shia. Anything he does, I will check it out. Um... Still, you know, I, I didn't watch. I think Vanessa Kirby's from The Crown, right? I didn't watch The Crown. She she was good in Mission Possible, less good in uh, in Hobbs and Shaw. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing her do something a little bit more dramatic. 
Um, Brett Gelman cast as the villain in Without Remorse. I, again, he he's an interesting character actor. I don't know that I would put him... I, I think it actually... The article may have changed from the villain to one of the villains in Without Remorse. I, again, I, I don't know, uh, but... If I, I don't know. If I'm making a big kind of action spy movie with Michael B. Jordan, I think I'd want a bigger, better villain than Brett Gelman. But I do like what he brings to the table. So not sure how they will use all that, but it should be interesting. Brett McKenzie's adapting Otter and Emmett Otter Jughead Band something for Jim Henson Company. I don't I don't care. I'm not interested. Brett McKenzie has adapted, uh, you know, because he, he's from Flight of the Concords. He has those kind of... Fun little songs, and you know they're cute and whimsical. And uh, but has any of this stuff like been made? I feel like he's worked on like a ton of scripts, and then just none of them have moved forward. I don't know. Lucy Boynton as Marianne Faithful. This is another thing that like this is a movie that all of eight people will see. I mean, L- Lucy Boynton, uh, Marianne Faithful. I-, I understand she's she was part of some some major songs like Wild Horses, uh, but. I don't know who's going to see a Marianne Faithful movie these days. <laughs> Some of these uh, musicians who, who get their own biopics, it really is something. Where I can't wait for 10 years from now where we're scraping the, the bottom of the barrel. It's like, come watch the Slash movie. Featuring some some someone mute uh, wearing a gigantic hat as the Guns N' Roses. Uh, actually, I bet you that movie would be fucking awesome, but maybe Slash was the wrong example to use there. Brian Lord over at CA is mad about this Carrie Fisher book. He issued a statement on behalf of him and his daughter Billy Lord, uh, condemning the book, saying, "You know, he he, they haven't read it. No one contacted them. Carrie didn't know this woman. And if you want to read about Carrie Fisher's life, just read, you know, her her own memoirs and whatnot." And I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiment and that this is like maybe still a little raw for both of them. But come on, like Carrie Fisher's the star of the biggest. <laughs> franchise ever we're saying no one no one can write books about her besides herself um the 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 woman uh i think it's sheila weller she's not like a nobody either she wrote girls like us which sony had optioned it's like about Joni mitchell and uh you know a bunch of singers um carly simon i think uh So it's like she's not a nobody. I just thought it was a very curious thing to to come out against so strongly uh, when I'm sure this is not going this is not going to be the last Carrie Fisher book. You know, there's a lot of interest in her, and you know, I'm sure maybe the timing is unfortunate since I think it's coming out time to Star Wars. But anywho, um, Taylor Swift and Andrew Lloyd Webber, the pairing you've always dreamed of, dropping a new song for Cats. They they wrote it together. It's called Beautiful Ghosts. I uh, could I hope I, I hope I never hear it. I mean, I do plan to see Cats, but mostly just so I can make fun of it along with the rest of the internet. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not the big the biggest T Swift or or Andrew Lloyd Webber fan to be honest. Um, speaking of music, Michael Giacchino scoring the Batman. Thank God, because I loved his work on with Matt Reeves on the Ape sequels. I just think he is the gold standard uh, of com- of composers these days. So that is awesome news for the Batman. Naomi Harris cast a shriek in Venom Two. I-, I like this. You know, I'm I'm actually looking forward to Black and Blue. I didn't get a chance to see the press screening uh, last night. My girlfriend, Stephanie, really wants to see it. We saw the trailer in front of Zombieland, too. So she was like, you got to save that one for me. So we may check that out this weekend. Um, 
Naomi Harris, I, I, listen, it was only a matter of time before she sort of cashed in and, and got a big superhero-type movie. This could be an interesting one. I just saw Woody with Rosario Dawson in Zombieland 2 and liked it. So I don't know if Shriek is being positioned as a love interest for Carnage. Um, but uh, I, you know, like, I'd heard that they may go like the natural born killer's route with this. That, you know, in a lot of comic book movies, it, when there are multiple villains, like let's say Batman and Robin or whatever, you have the Poison Ivy scenes and then you have Mr. Freeze scenes or Spider Man 3 and you have the Sandman scenes and Rhino scenes. Like, they're very rarely working together. And I, and I have a feeling that you're going to see Carnage and Shriek working together. Uh, in this movie and sharing scenes and, and fucking shit up and uh, yeah, it sounds it's, it's, it sounds cool. I'd like the casting though. Um, so yeah, sign me up. Star Girl. Remember last week's rumor of the week was about Star Girl moving to the CW. I mean, again, that was another one. No, no confirmation. I'd put in multiple uh, emails to the rep on on Star Girl. Nobody said anything. Then I see some Star Girl Twitter account. Uh, you know, manages to get a hold of some spokesman from somewhere. Maybe it's Warner Brothers TV or the DC streaming service. I have no idea. They said that my rumor is inaccurate. Well, can rumors, I mean, which part of it is inaccurate? I love, guys, as a veteran journalist, I'm told as so many things are inaccurate, inaccurate. What is inaccurate about them? May Push for specifics. Inaccurate could mean a zillion different things. It could mean <laughs> it's because it's a zillion different things. I'm not going to list them all. But, like, there is clearly something up with Stargirl. If you think that that's just, like, going to roll out on this on the DC streaming services plan, I got, I got something to tell you. I got to, like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. There's definitely something up, whether it uh, goes to the CW or friggin' I, wherever. I don't know. I don't care. I don't fucking care about Stargirl. I'm never going to see an episode of the show. I'm just saying something's rotten in, in Denmark here. Don't 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 just believe uh, what some Twitter fan account uh, is telling you. Um, ben Young remaking the bedroom window for Blumhouse. This is an old Curtis Hansen movie. I never saw it. I like the title actually, the bedroom window. Um, but as for Ben Young, wasn't a big fan of Hounds of Love. Couldn't make it past 20, 30 minutes of extinction. Eh, this is like a pretty shrug-worthy uh, hire for me on, from Blumhouse. Um, Little Women screened for the press this week. I was not invited. Can you believe it? Can you believe that a studio wouldn't think that I would flip for Little Women? Uh, everybody who did go did, in fact, flip. But, you know, I'm always skeptical of those first wave reactions. I think that they're kind of often bullshit. Uh, there, I said it. Um, it's the same people over and over gushing about the same types of movies. It's just like, for once, I want to see studios hold these first wave, like do these first wave reaction screenings and just have everything go terribly. And the first wave is just like, yeah, this isn't going, this isn't an Oscar tender. You know, one of the worst movies we've ever seen, like. No, I I can't wait for more people to see Bombshell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, little, little Women, Bombshell, it's the same sort of thing. It's the, these female movies, they invite all these female journalists. Like, I know when you have something on your hands when you invite me, a male journalist, and I can say, this is a great movie or not. 
My favorite movies of the year right now are Wild Rose and The Farewell. But no, oh, Je- Jeff probably hates female-driven movies. It's like, I just, it blows my mind who gets invited to these things and, and why. You think that the 10th reporter at some big publication matters more or has more influence over Academy members than I do or other people at Collider do? Like, Because I don't think anybody from Collider was at that Little Women's screening. I, I had lunch with an Academy member yesterday. You know, like how many Academy members are, are some of the press who are invited to these things? How many people do they know? The answer is zero. Okay. It's just Sony. Good, good luck with little women. <laughs> I'm, I, I will be honest with my takes on, on the movie. If I love it, I'll come back here and I'll say I love it. But I will say as, as someone who watches the awards race closely, I don't think it has a chance in hell at, at any Oscars. I think it's going to be just like A Star is Born uh, where I thought that was the best movie of the last year of, the, of last year, hands down. And, you know, it's the third or fourth or whatever the hell version of that story. So it never really stood a chance in the eyes of the older Academy who can remember all those versions. The same goes for Little Women. This is like the seventh or eighth version. I don't care how different it is, you know – even if they – Saoirse Rona and Florence Pugh, even if they get nominations, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, uh, nobody's winning this year. Not not for this movie. Nope, not happening. No costumes. Uh, I, I guarantee I can find costumes better in another film. It's just the cinematography. Uh, this is going to be a movie that's showered with nominations and, and, goes, and, puts, and uh, puts up an offer. Um, Richard Jewell. I am pumped for Richard Jewell. I think Richard Jewell looks great. I have faith in it. I think it could really surprise people. Uh, but that poster, whew, that is a bad Photoshop job. I mean, even Richard Jewell himself, Mr. Paul Walter Hauser, he liked my tweet being like, wow, this Photoshop is rank. So whoever made that poster, go back and take out John Hamm's fucking floating head because it looks terrible. I don't even, like, how does that happen? Is that John Hamm's people like getting a copy of that poster without him on it and being like, "Listen, this guy's the third build like in a Clint Eastwood movie. Can we get him on the poster somewhere?" And they just stick his head in the corner. Uh, very, very weird. Speaking of weird, Box Office Mojo relaunched this week over on uh, some of it's behind the the paywall on IMDb Pro. But man, what a fail! Who is the person who signed off on this? Who's like, "Yep, this is good to go. People are gonna love this." It was met with universal disdain. Someone like Edgar Wright is coming out and being like, this is – it's unusable. I mean if you, I understand giving something a facelift and making it maybe look a little bit better. But if you're, if you're sacrificing uh, functionality for aesthetic, you're going about things all wrong. Box Office Mojo went from a, a vital resource for many reporters and a, a bunch of people in the industry to basically a laughing stock overnight. They need to just – I don't understand that why tech companies insist on tinkering with successful products. Twitter does it all the time. Facebook does it all the time. It's annoying. Stop. You've got us there. We're there for a reason. It's because we like it. So why mess with it? Box Office Mojo. Undo. Edit. Undo. Um, how about the Tom Brady living with yourself drama? This was another story that blew my fucking mind this weekend. Like, I had to put Twitter back on the app just because I had to get to basketball, but couldn't stop fucking tweeting about it on the way there. Like, 
Deadline, USA Today. You Just like use your eyes. Watch the scene. Mike Reese over at ESPN, who is my former camp counselor. He's a great guy. I have a lot of respect for Mike Reese. He got an epic, epic two-and-a-half-minute quote from Tom Brady on this, on this hubbub. It's like he... The whole point of the scene is that he goes to this spa. He's been there six times and won six championships. So the idea is that maybe he went before each season where he won a championship. The only flaw in that is that – so what did he specific he, – he did, if he didn't go, then he didn't win? Like why – if he had won a championship, haven't gone to the spa, why wouldn't he just go every year? Um, and if he was going every year, then why – wasn't he winning a Super Bowl every year? I mean, hey, six isn't – I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Um, and, and also, you know, he keeps getting older and older, and so people have this idea, like, he must be a clone out there. Like, he just keeps getting better. Um, and, and that is what the spa in Living With Yourself does. It makes you the best version of yourself by cloning you and taking out – you know, changing your DNA to, to take out all the, the flaws, so to speak. Um, and to turn this into – Tom Brady is is poking fun at Robert Kraft in his sex scandal because this is at a spa and that was at a spa. Couldn't be a, a just more of a, a blatant misreading of the scene. And this is the problem with the fucking media and why I'm sometimes embarrassed to be part of it sometimes. Like, they just turn these things and take them out of context and they do it all for in service of a clickbait headline. I got to tell you. This whole like Matt Goldberg wrote a really thoughtful piece on Collider about the the Marvel uh, you know is Marvel Cinema controversy. I'm missing I, I've missed anonymous content calls. I think we're playing phone tag. It's like the sixth time. Um, but anyways, Matt Goldberg wrote this really interesting story. But it's like if I was the editor in chief of a site, if I was running the tracking board like last year. I wouldn't have any of this stuff. This would be a column. This would be one column, whether it's from Drew McWeeny or from Neil Turrets, who are both my columnists over there. This is not – I wouldn't report on every director weighing in with their two-sentence statement about why Marvel sucks. And and Matt makes a good argument as to why – you know, sites do that and why even Collider does that while condemning it at the same time. Like this is what you guys want to read. You know, we're in the business of of getting traffic and, you know, keeping the lights on here. And and if reading about Marvel bullshit is is what you guys want, then I guess that's what we have to deliver. But I do wish that more sites, more editors would push back on this stuff. Write the stuff that you want to read. Like, that is the power that we have. And and at Tracking Board, I thought I built a fucking utopia of a site. I was like, who, who wants to... Go back and forth about this stupid fucking argument. Cinema means different things to different people. It would have been a one-column thing, and then we would have moved on. I don't know how this is. We're on week two or three of this controversy, and like I said uh, earlier in the week, I'm sick of it. When I had to, you know, I I, I also, when I don't have scoops, I got to pick stuff up. And so sometimes that means getting assigned, picking up John Favreau's things. But I'm not just going to play that off like a straight story. I'm going to inject my own opinion in that story and say, why do all of you care about this? Stop caring so that I can stop writing about it and I can spend my time writing about something else that maybe you don't care about right now, but I can convince you to care about because you've read a piece on it. Moving on, Daniel Kaluuya tackling Barney. What a weird pairing this is. This is definitely not the story I thought I would uh, wake up and read. He's going to be producing a Barney movie. I love you. You love me. Ta-da. Thank God I don't have kids and won't have to see that movie. 
Um, there are rumors that Pierce Brosnan could be playing Alfred in the Batman. I haven't heard anything myself. I think it would be kind of interesting. Um, I guess I'd just like to see Pierce Brosnan back in like a big movie again, but uh, I don't know if he feels right to me as Alfred. I don't know that Pierce Brosnan, like a young Pierce Brosnan, looked himself in the mirror as Alfred and was like, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking care of this little brat and being a butler like if i was young pierce brosnan i, I would have thought i could do a little bit better than that um i still want to see a female alfred like an uh, like an, a helen mirren or whoever it is who raised batman yeah, yeah that that would be more interesting i think that that is a role that you can have a little bit of fun with um john cho hurt himself on the set of cowboy bebop i think he busted up his knee uh, either rehearsing a stunt or, or filming a stunt. Either way, uh, that production's being pushed like seven to nine months so that he can make a full recovery. Netflix could have just replaced him because uh, I think they'd only shot, you know, uh, an episode or two. Um, but uh, and I, I don't even know if it would cost more to reshoot that entire episode or all of his scenes or to to you know have a seven to nine month delay. I feel bad for the crew. Of course, most of all, I feel bad for John Cho and uh, you know our. Our hearts go out to him. I hope that he makes a swift recovery. The same goes. Same goes for Alan. Uh, I don't know if it's Alan Meyer or Alan Mayer, but uh, you know the head of, of Forty Two West, who apparently was in a really serious car accident a couple of weeks ago, um, broke bro- broke a bunch of bones, has had some surgeries. So our thoughts and prayers are, are with him and uh, and John Cho, and hoping that they both make a, a swift recovery. What else do we have here? Let's see. Do 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 do. Going down the list, guys. We're getting into the weeds now. Um, that you know, I, one of the biggest stories this week was the the, the Disney Fox Vault stuff. And if you didn't uh, see me on Movie Talk, you know, I, th- I thought I did a good job talking about it there. So, th- like, this is probably the scariest story I've I've read all month. Um, you can't just have like classic movies disappearing into into the Disney Vault. Uh, it's it's bad for cinema. It's bad for us, the the fans. It's bad for the independent theaters who rely on these repertory screenings and then these you know big Fox titles that, that whether it's Fight Club or Alien or I think it was Sound of Music they were saying. But here's the thing, because I predict that there's going to be a happy ending here. Disney actually kind of does listen to you, to people. They reverse course on James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy three. They reverse course on. Uh, the Spider-Man deal, I mean, maybe that was more Sony reversing course, but, you know, Disney certainly brought down uh, its original 50-50 ask. The point is, is that, I don't know, Disney's pretty sensitive, I think, to, to public perception. And, and there's like this, like, Spider-Man was defensible. Even James Gunn was semi-defensible. This really is not defensible. I don't understand taking movies out of circulation uh, to build up interest or anticipation for for the IP. You can't make movies sitting in a vault can't make money. And I'm not saying that you know if if Alien uh, does rep screenings across the country, like you know it's going to mean anything to bottom, to Disney's bottom line. But I don't like. There's just no upside to, to keeping things in a vault. Movies were made to be seen. They were made to be enjoyed by audiences. So I do predict, and, and this is very contrary to my cynical nature. I do predict a happy ending in this case. I think that Disney is going to reverse course. Cooler heads will prevail. They'll see the error of their ways, and they will release these titles. Um, I think right now it's just that they need to see what they have, and, and so they're just pulling everything off the shelves. 
and and they'll figure out a better strategy and plan. Like it's still new, and they've had bigger priorities, much bigger fish to fry since the Fox merger actually became official. Whether it's you know launching Disney Plus or you know just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I imagine in the next year, year and a half, things will get figured out on, on that front. Uh, and they're definitely not pulling Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, you know that that's just one where they they knew better than uh, to mess with that. That would have caused a full scale riot, riot. So that's cool. Um, the Irishman screened last night. Uh, that was the premiere. No invite for me. And nor was there an invite from Netflix to be like, listen, Irishman seats are taken. Uh, it's all filled up. But why don't you come uh, to the screening room and see Marriage Story? So I don't know what's going on with uh, with Netflix. I'd like to think I have a good relationship with their Corpcom, but clearly the publicity side just does not give a shit about the old In Snyder. Uh, but unfortunately, um, that you know they're they're going to pay for that across divisions, like. Netflix is such a big, unwieldy company. I feel like no one is talking to each other. And like I said, I I, I do feel bad about the Anna Delvey story. Um, and I definitely post. You know, I I did feel the pressure to to post that story, not just because it's a story that I think transcends typical casting news, but you know, because fucking Netflix needs a smack. You know, they just they need someone. To 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 call them on their shit from time to time, uh, beyond just like the Irishman budget stuff, which is crazy wrong, or or you know, calling out their their numbers like when they release oh, 40 million billion people watch this, like well, there's no transparency, so you know how do we even know you're telling us the truth? How do we know how long these people actually watch these things? You know, you've got the auto run on, so someone could just watch something and then leave the TV on, and, and like, does that count as as a view? So, you know, people do call out Netflix on certain things, like the the ratings transparency. But I'm going to call them out on the the you know a lot of the streamers have adopted the TV way of of, of like dealing with journalists, which I think is a big mistake. Um, at least at least it isn't when it comes to me because I straddle film and television. And let me tell you, they couldn't be they're like completely different animals as far as reporting goes. But the other thing is, is the yeah the the Irishman budget. I mean, again, sources within the streamer have said that the movie costs basically one hundred and fifty nine million and another fourteen million or so to buy out uh, everybody's back end. Now, when we report on budgets for a Warner Brothers movie or a Universal movie, whatever it is. We don't calculate those back-end payments, maybe because it's no guarantee that they have to be made, you know, like depending on box office. With Netflix, they pay out those fees up front. So it is – I see where they may be coming from in that, well, why, what does the back-end buyout figure have to do with anything? Because it's not – you know, it's not – it's like a bonus. Um, it's not something that is typically reported on – uh, when it comes to studios, but e- you know, w- e- either way, whether you count the that that part of it or not, there's no way in hell. I'm telling you, a hundred million billion percent, I would stake everything that I've ever worked for on this. <laughs> there's no way that that movie cost 159 million dollars. Like, first of all, what was the number that it was originally greenlighted as? Because it definitely went over budget. Going like is. 
is the budget the but is that the final figure or is that this was the budget and oh by the way we actually went way over budget they hired out entire vfx houses the vfx houses had to hire more people like so they kept the lights on 24 hours at these houses like you know here's a 12 hour shift for you and then instead of closing down for the night and then you guys come back in the morning we have a b team that works through the night to just to finish these vfx and the de-aging stuff I am told by multiple sources, including some very reliable sources, this movie cost at least $240, $250 million. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't give a shit. It's not my money. I'm not a stockholder of Netflix. But you have, you have to – studios and streamers, doesn't matter who the fuck it is. They have really no incentive to be honest with the press, uh, at least on the record. Um, like, why would you tell the truth on, on what you spent? What is the upside of telling the truth? Um, you know, the problem is that, you know, when the, when the press repeats these numbers, and, and by the way, we already did this segment a couple of weeks ago, uh, where I read off all the, these different publications, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, uh, Wall Street Journal, LA Times, New York Times, they all have different figures. They all have completely different figures because they all have different sources, which is, I guess, a, a good thing. Uh, that nobody nobody can quite agree on one number, but I, I the the one thing that I think that any veteran of this industry can agree on is that the number is is way higher than what has been reported, and uh, and the reason I bring this up is because I was listening to Ed Norton's podcast, uh, his interview with the Bill Simmons podcast, and he said the number is insanely insanely underreported. So take all that stuff with a grain of salt, guys. Uh, take me with a grain of salt if you want, but. Like don't don't just ignore it. Um, what else? What else? What else? Keep out for the Bloodless next week, guys. Next week is Halloween. My pal Kaylee Marsh over at Brillstein has been putting out the Bloodless for years and years, uh, and I, I've heard that there's some good stuff on this year's list. So tune into Collider uh, for more of that coverage. There's going to be a big four-year consider uh, an FYC four-year consideration announcement next week regarding the show I do with uh, Perry Nemiroff and Scott Mance. Things are happening for that, so that's exciting. Uh, my best goes out to JTE, who's leaving LA. After 15 years, my partner uh, in in the Patriots, my Patriots teammate, he's uh, moving, I think, to Wisconsin to live with his the love of his life, April. Uh, but this guy was a hell of a teammate. He's he's been a loyal boyfriend. God knows everything that that April's been through the last couple of years. And he's just a good guy, a good friend, um, a funny guy with a big heart. So I'm gonna miss JTE, and, and hopefully uh, I'll get a chance to to visit him. Uh, in Middle America, somewhere in Middle America at some point. Uh, other things, I'd like to recommend Richard Rushfield's Power 100, his take on THR's Power 100 list. He did a just hilarious riff on all those entries and all the silly questions that THR asks uh, Hollywood's most powerful moguls. It's like, man, you, you, you get to talk to the most powerful people in town, and you're asking them, like, what you would do if you find Bob Iger's cell phone. Okay. Um, anyways, it's a really fun read. And if you're not subscribing to Richard's uh, newsletter, The Ankler, you definitely should. Uh, you should read the Business Insider piece that Jason Guarasio did. Uh, he did an interview with Alfonso Gomez Rajon, the director of The Current War, about all the, the, the shit that that movie's been put through uh, with Harvey Weinstein ever since its premiere at, at Toronto. It was not well-received. It's finally, the director's cut is finally in theaters this weekend. Oh, there's so much. There's just so much, guys. Matt Damon and Christian Bale, yeah, both running lead uh, for Ford versus Ferrari in the Oscar race. 
And on the heels of that, I love uh, IndieWire or Ann Thompson did a story that Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are going to be running in lead and supporting, respectively. It's like, way to clear up the confusion on that one. I, I wasn't sure whether Leo was going to run for lead actor or, or best cinematographer or best visual effect. Uh, but yeah, Matt Damon and Christian Bale running together, I, I think... Matt Damon has always sort of been the lead, but Christian Bale decided to go lead rather than supporting. Doesn't seem like a great idea. Um, I think he probably has a better chance than, than Matt Damon because I've heard just like the performance is stronger. But when you're you know more of a supporting type performance competing against real leads like De Niro or Joaquin Phoenix or Adam Driver and Marriage Store, I think you've got an uphill battle. I, part of me just wonders if it's Christian Bale being like, well, I already won the supporting actor Oscar, so what do I need to chase that again? Um, the Gotham Award nominations came out this year, and who cares? It's like this Star Wars trailer for me. Like, it's just, it's a non-entity. This is like the East Coast indie spirits, but half is cool. Uh, so while I liked some of the Gotham Award nominees, I don't really put any faith or stock in them as, as an early bellwether for Oscar. And, you know, it's just like the the indie cool kids uh, voting for their favorites, which is why I hadn't heard of a handful of the nominees. And half of them were just A24 movies. Um, speaking of A24 movies, The Lighthouse is in theaters now. And Robert Pattinson has said that he's going to do Willem Dafoe's voice in The Batman Wow. Uh, I heard this guy speak in the King trailer, which actually looked pretty good. Maybe he just shouldn't speak at all. Maybe he should just be like High Life where he's like playing like a mute Batman. Um, Yeah, (laughs) the idea of him doing Willem Dafoe's lighthouse voice as the Batman should raise some eyebrows, uh, as should. And I just caught up with this. This is months old, but I saw the Jim Carrey Shining Deep Fake video. Oh, my. That was pretty uh, impressive work. Um, these deep fakes, man, are really starting to, to trip me out. They're, they are freaky as hell. Uh, Variety had a really good piece on uh, what Kevin Feige's recent promotion uh, means for Ike Perlmutter. It seems like Ike Perlmutter is, is kind of uh, being pushed aside at Marvel. Um, what else? I saw, oh, God, pirates have been uploading Netflix movies to Amazon Prime. Uh, Amazon Prime, get your shit together. Like, this upload function of yours, you got to, I don't know, like, fix that. I, I the idea that you know movies that don't belong on the service are getting on the service under fake titles uh it's, it sounds kind of fucking crazy um i loved e alex young's uh tweet he he neon sent journalists a bunch of like like a box of peaches to promote parasite like we got a, a box here because peaches are uh, important to the plot unfortunately alex did not check his mail for a while and by the time he opened up the box they were just a box of moldy peaches i knew that was bound to be a bad idea for someone unfortunately it was him movie pass is still charging credit cards what what else can i say but beyond these guys belong in jail they are absolute fucking crooks uh, I was a, a stockholder. I think I bought $100 worth of stock, and within three weeks, it was worth $0.39. Cents. Lock these motherfuckers up. Um, it's disgusting. I have read uh, a ton of bad JoJo Rabbit takes out there by all the pro clutchers. Um, people are just, it's like they don't know how to react to this movie because they're, they're jokes about Nazis. And Nazis are no laughing matter, especially these days. I got to say, folks, thank God that, that the Jews, my people, have a good sense of humor. Because uh, Jewish audiences don't seem to be taking any issue with this. I think it's, this is what Nazis looked and felt like to a young kid. Like he... You know, idolizing. He wants to fit in. Wants to be part of the club. Like I thought, 
Taika really did do a great job telling that a very complicated, tricky story. I totally understand, you know, why it not, may not be everyone's cup of tea. But uh, he did a great job telling that story through the eyes of a child. Um, and Owen Gleiberman over at Variety has a great piece on, on the Joker and how the Joker represents all of us. So uh, check, check those out. Um, uh, I also have an interview with Gary Gullman, who has a new HBO special, The Great Depression. And he, he is the comedian in Joker, the actual comedian. He tells uh, a great Joker story in our interview. And the interview means a lot to me because I listen to Gary um, with my mom a lot. He made her laugh a lot, and, and so you know I got a chance to thank him, which was really nice. So as soon as I wrap this podcast in, in just a couple minutes, I'm going to uh, add some images to that and get that interview up ASAP because uh, it's been a couple weeks since Joker came out and his special came out, and I have been slacking. I've been busy on the news. I'm sorry it's taken this long, Gary, but I think you guys are really going to enjoy that one. Um, trailers that I saw this week, uh, there's the Ready for War trailer that's going to be on Showtime about the way that our country treats it's uh, veterans who, who who come back and, and, you know, some of them end up getting deported and shit. It's crazy how we treat veterans in this country. My buddy Andrew Renzi directed that one. Check out that trailer. Scott Cooper dropped a trailer for Antlers. It looks super freaky. I'm excited for that. QT8, a Quentin Tarantino documentary. That is, like, tailor-made for me. Uh, I think it's got interviews with, with the late Robert Forster, so I'm looking forward to that. The Devil Next Door, about a, a guy who's accused of being an old uh, Nazi concentration camp guard. Like, is it a case of mistaken identity, or did he actually do it? That's a Netflix documentary. Can't wait for that one. Les Miserables, the, the, uh, France's official entry for the Foreign Language Oscar, dropped an awesome-looking trailer. Looks like just a really gritty crime drama. Looks very cool. The King, Timothy Chalamet, another Netflix movie. Um, I thought it looked pretty good. It made me kind of want to see the movie in a theater. But then part of me is like, well, how do I justify spending 15, 16 bucks on a on a movie ticket when I can just watch this movie from the comfort of my home in a week? Um, the Star Wars trailer dropped. All I have to say about that is watch Collider's video in which a fake George Lucas gives his take to the Star Like, who cares what I think about Star Wars? You guys know I don't really care for the franchise. But George, some, you know, we had a, a fake George Lucas do a reaction video like in character, and it was absolutely brilliant. I like the Bloodshot trailer, the Vin Diesel movie, a little bit more than I was expecting to. Um, so that looks promising, but what doesn't look promising is Doolittle, the Robert Downey Jr. movie. That if if anybody was thinking of nominating Robert Downey Jr. for Best Supporting Actor uh, for for Endgame, I, I think that all the Doolittle ads and whatnot uh, will will change their mind. This is going to end up to being his his Norbit, if you will. Um, and then finally, saw a ton of movies this week, a ton. I loved Scandalous, the National Enquirer documentary. I had an absolute blast with that. You wouldn't believe all the scandals that, that this company has been in the middle of. And as a journalist, I just ate it up. A Hidden Life, the Terrence Malick movie, hated it. Uh, three hours of just the same shit that has been in Terrence Malick's movies for the last 10 years. Just absolutely torture. Pure fucking torture. Didn't like it. It's beautifully shot. I can acknowledge that. But... Just a boring story. Uh, yeah, so slow. Sweetheart, the Blumhouse movie with Kiersey Clemens. I was really into the first two-thirds of this movie. Kind of went off the rails uh, in Act 3. Thought it should have just been Kiersey Clemens, like herself. Didn't need any other actors in that movie. And I didn't love the creature design. Last night I watched The Kill Team with Nat Wolf and Alexander Skarsgård. Made me want to watch the documentary. Pretty interesting story. Um, I thought the movie was good. Not great, but good. Uh, and yeah, like I said, it made me want to watch the documentary, which hails from the same director. Zombieland 2 took Stephanie to the movies to see that last week. 
I mean, paid like $21 a fucking ticket. I mean, I, I paid almost $50 to see Zombieland 2. Should I wish I'd just gone to the press screening. Uh, but it was fun. We did enjoy it. Uh, Zoe Deutsch absolutely cracked us up. Um, I know you know some people are getting annoyed with her character, but I, I thought it was a blast. <clears throat> Almost done. Watched Eli and Wounds, a couple of horror movies this week. Eli is on Netflix. I preferred it. Uh, you know, the first hour, it was kind of like whatever, but then the movie just goes bonkers insane towards the end. I, I do not want to spoil it because I really was kind of surprised. Um, so, so be sure if you do watch Eli and you're, and you're waffling halfway through, stick with it till the end because I thought that the, the climax really delivers. Wounds, on the other hand, had a ridiculous climax. I just was not into that movie at all. Army Hammer didn't do it for me and it totally wasted Dakota Johnson. And then, like I said, Terminator Dark Fate, you can check out the video review with uh, me and Roke on Collider Videos. That'll pretty much do it for the week. I'm not going to do a rumor of the week. I've been doing plenty of news, um, so don't need to get into any trouble on, on that front. Um, that'll do it. That'll do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut. I hope that you guys got your your hours worth in terms of information and reviews and just little, you know, bits and bulbs, as Simon uh, used to say on Meet the Movie Press. Believe me, I would love to get Simon on this podcast soon, Simon Thompson. But in the meantime, you guys are just stuck with me. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Cameo at the Insnider. Order a goddamn Cameo so I can pay my uh, electrical bill. And, uh, and yeah, we'll be back next week. Have a happy Halloween. Stay safe, everybody. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.